Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. All right, so we went from marketing to now we're talking about influencer marketing. A couple tips, make it easy for influencers because they got a short attention span. And I don't know, well, this panel, they've got tons of great information. I will, I will just step back and I will let them introduce themselves and make sure and ask questions in the chat and we'll bring them up after I'll come back and we'll bring them up afterwards. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dan. Hi everybody. Um, my name, even more Dan, I'm loving it. Uh, my name is Leah. Uh, I am the brand manager over here at Lightstream um, and I'm super excited to get to chat with all these people. Um, I know Dan kicked it off, but also just to level set with everybody, we're gonna chat a lot about influencer marketing tactics, specifically around how to drive game sales, which is gonna be really exciting and hopefully very helpful. Um, we're gonna talk about how to demystify that process, figure out how to measure everybody um, and really understand the difference of going with a really big influencer versus a micro influencer versus a medium-sized influencer. Um, just like he said, if you guys have any questions, feel free to also throw it in the chat and we will wrangle them if we have time at the end. Um, I will move on to our lovely panelists. Um, Stu, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you go ahead and kick off with uh, your history in gaming and any unique perspectives you can kind of bring to the panel? Sure. So I got my illustrious start in gaming in the esports uh, world when it was, you know, 50 uh, of us kids at the time uh, competing over 100 bucks in a basement. <laughs> uh, these days, uh, the last seven years or so, I've been the CEO and co-founder of Lightstream. Uh, we obviously make uh, Lightstream Studio, but also Rainmaker, which provides uh, data and analytics for both creators uh, and brands to work together more in harmony. Um, but yeah, so um, I guess before that, I was the head of global marketing um, in both product launches and a lot of our sponsorships for uh, Steel Series for a few years. So um, a lot of background and working with a lot of lovely people over the years, including all. Of all right, we'll let you stay on the panel then. Uh, Andy, what about you? Besides being <laughs> a great chef, which I hear about once a week, I swear. Much what else are you doing? I mean, I'm hiding pancakes <laughs> right behind me, so yes. I know. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'd say my start came from pitching an influencer program out of the blue to an agency in New York that took a chance on me. I essentially left hospitality and gave it a shot and shout out to Sandbox Strategies. I feel like uh, when we all started over a decade ago, it was the Wild West. And since then, it's been reining in those understandings. But getting as much understanding from those individuals as possible, the creators themselves are what fuel to my knowledge. Now I'm at Epic Games, managing the Epic Game Store influencer account. And I'd say when it comes to what I do now, 
it's pretty much making sure these folks are as heard as possible and reacting to what's missing from the industry. I think it's been a lot of block and tackle, samey stuff for some time, and I'm looking to make sure that things start to grow and evolve. Love it. Sam, what about you? Well, I've been only in the industry as a streamer for the most part, I'd say for roughly the past seven to eight-ish years. I got into Twitch right before the big old boom. Um, so I, I started with that. And then over time, I have built up my hosting repertoire. And so I've done a lot for uh, charity events. And as the creator kind of uh, perspective here, <laughs> I hope that I can give you the insight that you desire. But yeah, I, I just do a lot of um, gaming related hosting or streaming. So that's been me. I'm just here. Okay. I love it. I'm gonna we're gonna pick your brain about how to get lovely people like you to work with people like us and not annoy you. So very key content. Do my best. <laughs> um, Andy, I'm gonna kick off. Obviously, anybody feel free to hop in. But um, one thing I wanted to start with discussing is how you see the benefits of influencer programs versus the more traditional marketing vehicles that you know, you're know you always talking about programmatic media and all these ads and stuff like that. How do you see the benefits of that? And also what are some of the challenges that you face when you're considering um, doing either? When you're speaking from a brand level, the reason why you build a program is mostly for consistency and relationship building. Anybody who's taking the very daunting task of having an influencer management uh, program within their company knows that the idea is to be able to speak to these individuals at a consistent cadence. Not every brand has the freedom or autonomy to work in that method, but essentially it allows less time for spin up and allows folks to say, I have a relationship with this brand. I have the ability to utilize them in different ways, but I know that I'm not just in some void of an email. It is about making sure that I have someone to speak to. You've got a human at the end of the day. The advantage of it is mostly aspects of the create, creator economy that people aren't used to. And then when you think about it on the other side of the fence, when you just need to sign the quick deal, a lot of outside looking in brands are just trying to get their feet wet. They're not prepared to build a program, but they may be looking for so, uh, looking for it. So when you think about why you might experiment with some one-off deals, it's because you're trying to understand the ecosystem, some likely experimentation to understand what the ROI is in those creators. And that's kind of the difference. So I'd probably say to dip your toe in, good call, but don't just uh, start a program overnight. You will regret it. <laughs> Yeah, you will not have a lot of sleep for a few for a few months, years. We're not sure. Um, what do you find the biggest um, challenges are when you start to really do your first few one-off influencer things, um, especially as, as like a smaller indie studio? Sorry, I keep muting just to make sure there's lots of noise happening out there. <laughs> but I would say the challenges that you face is identification. You don't always know unless you have a, a few chops in the industry who makes the most sense. Unless you're rooted the way I am with content creators and YouTubers. I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching daily. I'm involved daily. I understand their content. I could look at a channel and understand not just what this person's about on a content level, but what kind of content makes sense for them. Having context to that creator is the most important piece. And the difficulty of that is getting context to that creator over time. Like it, on average, to really understand whether or not a content creator is good for your campaign is not a 20-minute thing. It is a few hours of investment of time if you don't already understand the ecosystem. So the more you learn, you start to speed up. But somebody who's not, I want to say... Uh, 
uh, I guess, what's the word I want to use? Uh, initiated, initiated <laughs> and understanding it, it will take time. And this is a manual process. Some tools have the ability to maybe, you know, cut a few lines here and there, but at the end of the day, context to the creator is going to be the biggest hill to climb, but it's worth the time. And I mean, you know, you spend a hundred thousand dollars on a campaign, you're better off with five solid creators who've made an impact and made a difference than spending 1 million on folks who just got a check at the end of the day. Right. Absolutely. And so as you have kind of started this and, and grown through it, what are some of the tools since Sam too on your side in terms of like sanity checking and making sure you know what's going on? Have you guys found any tools that you uh, that have helped you build these campaigns out, be able to measure them? Um, I know that obviously our product uh, Rainmaker is heavily involved in this. So Stu, feel free to jump in. But um, additionally, any other tools and things that you think everybody before they start this journey should have access to and know what they're using um, to prevent the uh, 10 years ago classic just run around and give people money and then forget how we're going to measure uh, the ROI. Yeah. Uh, so a big thing about what's given to creators is we have our dashboard um, and your dashboard has a lot of your own analytics. And so if you don't have, say, a management team that is there gathering your analytics for you, that is something that you can I, there's a there's a math process to it and I can't exactly think of the number off the top of my head but your concurrent viewers will equate to a certain amount of compensation and that's it always depends upon the activation and campaign that you're going for as well but your analytics are available to you and it's really important to dig into those and aside from that um I'm new to the rainmaker world so I'm learning about that but I know that selenome is also a thing that's available uh, to creators who are trying to look to see what they may have uh, a roundabout number to give to companies that are asking, like, what is your current viewership for the last 30 months or uh, 30 months, 30 days, sorry. I mean, unless you want 30 months, I can do that too. I love a story that. I'm not that is consistent. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you need it, you got it. <laughs> but yeah, so there are tools available to creators, um, but also if you have management, then they definitely have these tools available to them as well. So yeah, that's what that, that's what I've been personally dabbling into just to make sure that things align correctly for what I am seeing come my way at the same time of what I know I'm doing. So proper, right. proper analytics. Yeah, I would just say in a very unbiased way that it comes down to being data driven um, about everything that you do. Uh, you know, there's a in the startup ecosystem outside of being a creator, there's kind of this phrase that what doesn't get measured doesn't change. And so, you know, if you're able to look at where you're progressing, where you're not progressing, what's working for you, what's not working for you, I'd say, I mean, like she said, there's so many tools out there. Um, and I would say in a very, uh, like I said, unbiased way, use whatever works best for you. Sully Gnome, uh, we have a great relationship with him. It's a fantastic independent product. He's paying out of pocket to provide that data service mm. and it's great. Um, Rainmakers, um, free for creators. Uh, we've tried to take that a little step further with some, um, other partners in the space. Uh, Spike Trap is a, another partner of ours on the Rainmaker side. Spike Trap provides sentiment data. So you can start to look at how your um, uh, audience essentially is reacting in, in terms of toxicity or anything else that's kind of happening in your chat. And you're able to kind of look at that and really understand that and kind of uh, depending on the community you're trying to build, uh, you know, shape that. 
again, because it's getting measured, you're able to then react and, and, and do the right thing for, for your brand. Um, and then obviously, as she, as she said, to be able to represent yourself. I think giving creators the tools to better articulate uh, what they're doing, how they're doing it, and, and the level of success they've gotten to is super important for a world where people do a lot of self-representation in this space. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, I, I think that kind of kicks off to an interesting point too of we're talking about how we measure it. We're talking about what we need to know that we want to measure. How do you feel, Andy, when do you think feel is the right time to start doing some influencer campaigns as an indie as an indie studio or just in general when do you feel is the right time that you're ready to reach out to be talking to people like sam it is a bandwidth question for indie studios <laughs> I, I i understand that at the very first level it is time so to have someone dedicated the first thing i'll say is please don't put your community manager or your marketing person also on influencer marketing that's the first thing i'll say stop doing that make influencers the one job because it is a full-time i'm going to be overworked job the time to work with those creators i actually have been saying this since the start treat them like the press when you're reaching out to IGN, when you're reaching out to other folks, the creators are there as well. When you look at the ecosystem, you have creators who perform the exact same way. They have YouTube channels dedicated to previews, to uh, early looks. They know, they know how to follow embargoes. There's plenty of folks who are like that. So start there. They prefer coverage. There's plenty of places to go. Then when you're getting into the streaming ecosystem, when you're ready to perform live content, understanding your marketing roadmap, right? Like, are you going to be ready to show a bit of this game early? Then offer that opportunity to more streamers to say, hey, I'd like to give you an early look. Have budget available if you can. And if you cannot, if it's not in the cards, I would highly recommend making something a bit more exclusive. So the opportunity is there for the creator. You want to think about what's there for them, for them long term. If they're not able to get anything out of just playing a game, then you shouldn't approach them because you should treat them as a business as anyone else. So I'd probably say understanding who you want to speak to on the creator, on the creator side before you start assuming that you're just going to have them all there and start carpet bombing them is the move. And then of course, on the, on the, on the other end of it is have a place to receive content creators with interest. That's the part that takes the most time. The vetting of the individuals who are coming in to say, hi, interested in your game, would like to speak to you. There's a lot of vetting that goes into that system, having a very clean way to get that information. I'm going to say Rainmaker is one of the best ones, not going to lie, <laughs> but uh, honestly, it really is. Like, it does help uh, unclog a lot of problems that I would have I would have been so successful if I had this like seven, seven eight years ago. <laughs> I would have retired. You know, right? Stu, could you have gotten on this a little bit earlier? We really right? would be less like, just, on, honestly. What's the excuse, dude? Stop it. <laughs> but but that's, I, I think that's where you start. You make sure that you treat them the same way as you would anyone else, and you're going to find that you have a much cleaner marketing roadmap treating them that way rather than doing what i probably say too many developers are still doing is influencers of the afterthought and that is a poor way to run your marketing program if, if i may add I, I think that going back all the way to like my days in steel series it was raw numbers it was kind of like peak viewers things like that that people were investing in and one of the reasons we started rainmaker and i do apologize it took so long was the idea that um through data and automation, we could help brands confidently invest in smaller and smaller creators. Uh, people who weren't trying to be the top 1% of Twitch, but had built a really effective and wonderful community at a, at a normal size that is uh, that they're highly influential over, obviously. And so 
by giving brands um, not have to hire 20 interns to collect all the data, but actually have this kind of automated coming into your inbox and say, okay, well, I only have so much to spend on a regular basis because I am a smaller brand. I mean, SteelSeries maybe it sounds like a big name, but it's actually a boutique brand when you compare it to like the, the billion dollar companies that are Logitech and Razor. And so for us, it was about um, investing in those medium-sized esports teams, some of the best in the business, but also some in the middle and being able to collect the data there auto, you know, in an automated way that allowed us to take the small budget we had and really put every dollar, not only in the hands of um, a really effective creator, but uh, to make sure it went out to great effect, obviously on behalf of the brand. So um, yeah. And I also will add uh, on the creator side of both of what you have said, a big thing that I find valuable whenever I am reached out to is when they do show a detail of interest of things that they only would have known if they actually looked into me. Um, so saying like, oh yeah, this game is also my favorite. I didn't know that it was yours. So we think that this might be a really good fit for you. And I'm just like, okay, they actually did their time. And so I, I feel like I will give them my time. So I, I, I really value that and I appreciate when a brand does that. So Agreed. everyone's doing good in here so far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sam, how many emails do you get a day at this point from God knows who to say cover to cover, <laughs> Lord knows what. And <laughs> kind of like, you know, you're already waiting through enough. There's, there's only so much mental bandwidth in the day. So any brand who's thinking about that, like trying to have some empathy mm -hmm. for a creator, especially when they're solo and they don't have their own management company, just think about what their inbox looks like and don't, and disrespect their time is probably the most I'll say there. And that's the answer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Respect everybody's time. Yeah, I, I think that's a great call out too. I mean, and especially as we start talking about size of influencers, right? There's the balance of, of talking about impressions and I'm going to get this many impressions, but are those impressions really effective? Are you partnering with an influencer that is a variety streamer or that doesn't, you know, that's basically just in it for, um, for their personality or are they more of a review based one and they're trying to their this community is watching them for entertainment but also very much trusts their analytical thoughts and advice are they playing the same kind of game to a potential game you're making um and say okay well this person's audience is already clearly involved and aligned with the kind of the content that we're making so to if you do start working as an indie studio with some of these management companies there is a middle ground you can go for the large impression push, which is not a bad thing. Impressions are great numbers on slides and not the end of the world, but it's gonna be way more efficient if you're talking about, these are the impressions that we're getting and here's a conversion. Here is, and, and maybe it is only game sales. Maybe it's joining the Discord. Maybe it's continuing to be involved in the community. Um, I think that that's something interesting to think of too. And Sam, um, it kind of is an easy uh, bounce to the next thing I was gonna ask you. When you're talking to some of these, um, to all these people that are outreaching to you, what are the measurements that you're really saying? If they're saying, I need this many game sales, that's a ugh, no. Like, what, what are the uh, metrics that you feel comfortable as an influencer saying, yeah, this is something, this is where my value is? Uh, I will say a lot of times I don't get emails like that because I do have a management that handles it. So they do all of the, the grunt work for me, basically, so that. I can put forward the kind of written out guidelines and talking points and everything that they want to reach. And I can focus more on that. But I, I really do 
appreciate whenever there are very clear, concise lines of things that they want, because sometimes when there is a lack of communication or they're like, we want something that's general to you and you give them a post for approval or things like that. And they're like, no, we want it more like this. And it's disingenuous. Um, that's whenever it becomes a little bit pet peevey, I'd say, because it's, then it's like, why do you want me then if you just yeah. want my impressions you don't be want you within our spam. brand guidelines <laughs> yeah 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 it's like, be totally <laughs> unique right up until that point and then no more. yeah <laughs> i want you to say it just like this but add your flair and then you add your flair and they're like but not like that like this <laughs> it's like wait <laughs> what <laughs> so be mindful of what you really really want uh up up front because it's really important and it'll make the relationship with the creator that much better when they know going in what it is that you desire instead of lying to them a little bit and then it's like oh but actually you got yeah. the job but we want this mm -hmm. so yeah and that speaks to i mean exactly you know what I think Andy was saying earlier, but when you look at the balance between traditional marketing and, and what you're trying to accomplish with influencers, it's that authenticity. So if you don't understand their brand and how you're going to incorporate your brand into their brand, then you lose the entire reason you're doing it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> right. Indeed. And so, um, and I think yeah. that gets missed a lot, at least by some of the larger brands that are, are what, what did you say? Getting initiated. <laughs> initiated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it is a good call out too. just of of if you're going to if you're going to be the cool, we trust you, we want to work with you, you have to like consistently be that and that this isn't, you know, a one off, uh, basically going on 50 first dates with influencers isn't going to drive your program forward long term, it might get you spikes every once in a while. But um, from my experience doing partnerships in gaming and for the last 10 years has been, it's always easier to do this and learn about each other. It's like dating. Like you have to learn about each other, understand what works and build that relationship going forward. Otherwise it's gonna be like awkward and it only gets easier the more time you put in, in the beginning, mm -hmm. hopefully. <laughs> or, or it might not be a good fit. <laughs> That's a different discussion. But um, Sam, I'm glad we got to kind of chat about what what it is that you really do like and, and some of your pet peeves on that. I think that that's a really important thing for uh, the audience to understand, too, is, OK, cool. I've identified that I want to do influencer stuff. Um, but one of my questions, I think we've kind of already gone over it is, OK, but what do I want? How do I how do I respond to them? How do I reach out to them? What is the info that I need? And I think Andy's suggestion too of think of it like the press is a really interesting call out too. Make sure you have something for them aside from a game code. Um, I think that probably the elephant in the room, right, is if we're especially if we're talking with indie or smaller studios, is what is the typical budget that they should be prepared to spend for an effective influencer we're not talking about top one percent we're not talking about um you know the the biggest of big really the some of the impression plays i would think um but as you guys andy in your experience what at what point is do you feel like there's a sweet spot of this is enough to get get somewhere that's going to have traction but not too much to where we're you know this spend is going to spook us and it's not going to feel like a good a good buy no matter what the results are i'm excited to answer this question because i have seen games with the exact same development budget yet dramatically different marketing budgets like same size game you can even put them side by side and they go 
okay. But then when it came to the marketing, how much they were willing to spend changes. The budget has less to do with your intent. So when you look at this from the point of view of a, de of a developer, what you have to do is ask what you want from the creators. Because it is what happens is an, an indie developer will go, I want lots of creators playing my game. And I go, that's great. There is a lot more to it than that. When you look at it from the indie, indie developer's perspective, especially folks who go into early access, you often have the, I have my announcement period, I have my beta period, I have my, um, I want people to wish list, I want people to pre-order. You have so many beats that you can talk to content creators about. And then you need to think about what am I gonna spend to get those areas? It is not a tit for tat where it's, I spend money on creators, I sell games. It is about making sure you're honed in on engagement. So if you're looking at your game and let's say you're a free-to-play X, X style game and you want people to sign up for the beta as soon as possible, and it's about how those betas will convert users, then you put your budget into those content creators and think about your strategy from that point of view. If it's about, hey, we're going to be in a time where we're not quite sure where this game is going to be, then maybe move your budget to post-launch and think about it from that point of view. Look at the creators in the ecosystem and think about how they speak to the audience. It's not about pitching to the audience and saying, I want these type of people playing my game. It is what do these, what are the audiences these creators uh, speak to and how do I speak that language? That's how the budget gets, gets kind of put together. Now, when I talk about the actual numbers, it is being realistic about how much you're willing to spend on your overall marketing plan and then slice some of that off for creators. There's always an understanding that I've seen people put all my marketing influencers and I go, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and I, I'll say it over and over and over again, diversify. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like think about the ecosystem, think about the algorithm, do the math. But it is imperative that you probably spend more of your budget on an individual to handle the relationships before you just go spend on agencies. Because you'll drop $20,000 easily and not see a single cent come back to you. Let's just be frank. It's the real understanding about what goes on. Taking the time to build your narrative, taking the time to build relationships is what your budget should represent. So if you're even an indie developer that might have a staff of four and you don't have the ability to do so, I'd say using your budget to make sure that you have the ability to speak to the audiences or rather the creators that you want to speak to, that's where your budget should go. I hear the word small influencer, small campaign, but in the context of things, well, Small to me is terrifying to other people. And then, of course, small to uh, a AAA publisher putting out an indie looks very different as well. So I'd probably say without being too, I obviously can't give the right answer because I'm being careful about what I can, I cannot say. But hopefully that context gives you the ability to start making some decisions about, I had this much to spend, but here's how I'm going to use it. Right. And, and I think it's an interesting uh, jump off point of, as you look at the grant and, and we can't give you know percentages of what we think but as we look at the general marketing plan of of a game launch or you know from all the way from beta to all the way through it what level of priority do you feel influencer marketing should be especially for smaller studios as they look at all of these other vehicles um, with the asterisk of it should be zero percent if you don't have the bandwidth to do it in a way that isn't going to get you a bad name in the industry for being difficult to work with but <laughs> assuming they have bandwidth um how do you in your experience usually try to justify that uh that allocation out 
this is my uh, marketing hat coming on at this point and not just influencers, but like you would test with any other marketing campaign channels, you just do a little bit to see what's kind of turning and then make a judgment call from there. That's actually pretty easy to do where you go, okay, I've got $50,000. Here are the five channels. One of those channels is influencer. Let's get, let's see what happens and, and come back with a couple of answers. Uh, whether or not you activate with influencers at all, there's one thing that I can't really teach, but you have to be cognizant of how does your game behave? Like, is this stream friendly? Is this YouTube VOD content? Is this quick kind of pieces like that? Like a lot of developers think they'll stream anything. That is a lie. Some people will stream anything. Some games work really well. You should really know your game, <laughs> you know? And I can't speak, I can't, because of confidentiality, I can't speak to certain games, but there's some games that I look at immediately go, that is a YouTube game with cut down streams and very, very clear audio pieces about what this game represents. This game is Twitch all day. We want to be really clear about what you want to do and having that come to Jesus talk <laughs> about what your game is and what makes the most sense might be the hardest hurdle for most of those folks. Yeah. Andy, just tell us all how to do question. all the marketing. 10 of 10. I'm just going <laughs> to. I know. I'm, I'm like taking in every word. I know. I'm, like, <laughs> I don't even do marketing. I'm, like, I'm not yeah, even making more, games. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. I'll say it <laughs> right. slower. Just one more time. From the I'm going to write this all down. I know, right? <laughs> I really appreciate that. I, I, I mean, I honestly think I'm full of crap most of the time, but I hope I'm helping somebody. So. <laughs> <laughs> doing great. Very proud of you, Andy. Um, I think another interesting uh topic to kind of jump on, especially with you, Sam, is what do you feel like the biggest challenges are for you on the influencer side of working with studios from large to small? What do you feel like are, uh, obviously you said one thing that's very important to you is that they are kind of organized, that they have already clearly watched you and you are not part of some like general email spam marketing campaign where it's like, I like your content because I saw it and you're great. Um, what do you feel are either the things that really help you understand aside from the guidelines? Um, and what are things that is an immediate red flag of this is going to be a really complicated uh, partnership and it, and it makes me a little nervous. Um, well, immediate red flags are things that I kind of mentioned earlier when it's like the super micromanagement where you don't get the freedom as a creator. Um, however, I will say things that I really like is whenever they do initially reach out, they give you, like a, a whole spiel of what the game actually is instead of check out our game with this link and tell us if you like it. Instead, tell me why you like it and why I should like it too. Because I, I, I find that more personable and reading through it than I can then tell, is it something for me? Because I'm not just watching it, but I'm hearing it from the perspective of somebody who also has enjoyed it. So I really like that. That's a huge green flag for me. Um, and I'll usually then push it like, hey, let's let's continue this conversation, perhaps. So that and then, yeah, my my major red flag is just <laughs> the super, super micromanagement. But I, I'm sure there are more that will come to my head. I cannot quite think of it right now, but pop off I'll with them at any point. I'm about to say, it'll come on like three questions later. Like, oh, this. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's the way to do it. That's a good um, note for me as well, actually. It's nice to hear that you'd want to hear it. I think the gut mm -hmm. reaction to some devs is you may not read this if it's too wordy. So maybe let the trailer speak for itself. That is true. Yeah. So, but to, to, to hear that, hey, I'd like to hear a little bit more about what you think. That's the first time I've genuinely heard that. So I might want to rethink oh. some of our copy, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, and taking notes. And that's what panels are for. <laughs> oh. 
why you connect us. <laughs> um, Stu, I, I, I'm interested to kind of hear what you have to think about as as you've created Rainmaker and and iterated on iterated on that product. What are the data points that you feel are consistently always 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 important and potentially one that's a little undervalued when you start looking at this kind of data both for the streamer and also for the um for the studio sign up today for the indie game business newsletter it's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There's exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Yay! It's an interesting question because there's quite a bit that we've done recently and then, you know, over the long term. I think, you know, one thing that's usually overlooked is, is just consistency, I think, is making it's not really necessarily always about kind of raw peak numbers, but um, what is the consistency of this person's stream in terms of, you know, when they're live, how they're live, who's on that stream, but also consistency in those numbers um, and, and how those work as well. Um, but, you know, I never think those things tell a, a whole story. I think they're a tool to informing, um, you know, watching. The thing I see most people make a mistake on is just driving by the numbers. Um, I'll give you a couple ways to tune into the community. I think for one, it's just, you know, anytime you're looking at a profile, you're able to actually go and watch their stream, which I think is super important. And I think not enough brands actually take the time to go do that. And we've We've covered that enough, so I don't need to reiterate why. Um, but um, you know what we're starting to look at is is really the community itself. Um, you know how do you um, how do you take what is a raw number and turn it into something more qualitative? Uh, and that's where you know, like I said, with the sentiment stuff, it's it's you know what emojis get used most, uh, what words are getting dropped in chat the most. Um, you know, the sentiment score is based on. A number of different factors but um you know depending on what your brand's identity is and what's important to you you know you're going to have very different things if you're um, marketing something like you know the newest uh, gta versus your mattel and you're trying to get involved with creators and so looking at a streams community on things like toxicity sexuality profanity and really understanding like because it's not just about what the creator says, right? Um, it, it can be, it'd be a lot about what the, what conversation are they driving constantly. And I think that gets overlooked a lot. Uh, and that conversational data is super, super important. Um, and we do it in a way that's more rolled up. It's not about what any one particular community member says, but like, what are some general themes that are occurring in the conversation that's getting driven by this creator and, and the community that they're building? And when you understand that, then you understand how to join that conversation effectively. And I, and I think that is uh, a transition we're trying to help make along with our, our friends over at Spike Trap. Um, I think a lot of people are still driving off the numbers. I think a lot of tools are built just to show big graphs. Uh, and so that drives that like, like type of thinking. Um, but really being able to jump into the data and say, you know, wow, what a community this person's building. Uh, here's, you know, the, on average, they're very positive about the creator and each other and the games. 
that that creator plays, I think really is, is something that so far is um, a lot of smart uh, indie folks and larger brands are starting to take a look at it, but there's a vast majority of the industry that really doesn't take a look at, at that in, a, in an effective way. And, and so, you know, our goal is to kind of build some tools that help you dive into that a little bit better. But I, that was what I would say is most overlooked right now. Well said. Yeah, I've never Thanks. heard it put that way either. That's actually mm -hmm. really good. <laughs> Are we all just fangirling over each other, guys, on this panel? Yeah. Is this panel us just talking about how great everyone else is doing? I'm loving the vibe. I'm like here a for group. it. I know. I think, I think we've found ourselves. We found ourselves uh, limited in our, I guess, uh, public spaces, and we haven't had the chance to rap like this in a while. I have not had this conversation in years. Yeah, <laughs> so I was just like, this is kind of nice to speak to people who know what they're talking about, because we've been missing for a while, so it's Imagine. nice. Imagine. <laughs> well, I think maybe the next thing, and, and we've kind of touched on it, but I want to just like really drill down into the art of finding the appropriate influencer, the art of finding the the person that is correct and the person that feels um, like a fit that isn't doing what I used to do, which is just watching Twitch for like 12 hours a day. And then I'm like, why, how did I get here? What am I watching? What am I doing here? What am I looking for? Um, <laughs> which I still do sometimes, but that's more of like a personal thing that I'm just dealing with watching a lot of Twitch. But um, as we talk about it for brands and we talk about it for indie studios, um, what do you feel is that process? What are those things to um, to keep in mind? And especially Stu on the, on you know the other side of it what do you find people um really trying to look for or that they should be considering far far earlier in this process to find an actual authentic uh partnership with an influencer that doesn't feel like a brand buy big question big question he's unmuted he's ready sorry i was i was, I was kind of digesting it for a minute because I, w I don't want to pigeonhole into, there are so many tactics, uh, but I, <laughs> I'd say at the start, let's just say you're, you're in, you understand the ecosystem. I'd probably say if you know your lookalike audiences for your game, in other words, your game is very much like XYZ. So sorry, just want to make sure you guys can't hear the cry. <laughs> okay. But um when it comes to this game, this game speaks to this audience, this creators, the creators who've played XYZ games would likely be interested in this pieces, right? You build your first set of profiles and then you start realizing, okay, who's out there, right? Because there's some games out there that have such a niche audience that your creator pool is going to be so much smaller. So how you think about how to approach those folks is going to be different. And then you have that one example for just YouTube. Do the same thing for Twitch. Now you know what your target lot looks like. You probably have some ways to tag those individuals using certain games, using certain genres, and then kind of work backwards. In, in other words, like I would say pie in the sky, if I had every single creator here who wanted to code for my game and wanted to play it, how would I treat those relationships? Who do I want to speak to? Do I want them in my Discord early having a conversation or do I just want to keep them at arm's reach and give them the press treatment? I think that's the way I would probably tackle it if this was like a day zero, I need to start from scratch kind of perspective. And I'm starting to see games out there that may not have a very easy to identify audience. There's some games that, there's some games this year that have come out that I go, I have no idea. 
this Barnon, I have no clue. Someone help. And we have to go figure that out. And again, I can't say what game it is, but it's been the most challenging game of the year to go, who speaks to this audience? I'd probably say start there. I feel like it's a messy answer, but that's how I would tackle it at first. Looking forward to for all of us on this call and watching this panel will be, what's the game that, that Andy had no idea what yeah, to do? Which one? Was. <laughs> Which one is it? This campaign looks like it's really smooth. It's going well. It's not this one. It's, it's, not this it's one. hard to get me. It's hard to get me. And I'm just like, uh, listen, um, I'll just pay you to figure it out. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Another hot tip. Pay someone else to figure it out. A, a solid, solid takeaway from the panel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> love and outsource. Um, I, I think that that's a really good call. And something that I've liked that you've mentioned a few times is, is um, appreciating the different um, mediums of influencers where it's, um, you know, this is YouTube focused, this is Twitch focused. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about was the strategy around understanding live content is live content, Twitch is Twitch, but being able to see if you uh, want to add as an executable clips for this, uh, make sure that there's a VOD of it that you're going to use long term. Um, but you've you've touched on it a few times and Sam, I'm interested if you have any thoughts on this too, of there are multiple phases to the benefit of an influencer activation. Some people just think, okay, well, this is going to be live on Twitch for three hours or two months or whatever it is, or I have a logo placement, but realistically, I see that there is benefit in the long term, the VODs, and also if they make YouTube content and they're not even talking about Twitch. So Sam, I don't know if you've had any thoughts on that or if you've seen any differences in the way um, you and your, you know, your channel and your brand really has um, kind of switched up the way you create and uh, use content long term to kind of extend the tail, or if you're just keeping it very clear of like, we're live and we're live and like the goodness happens when we're doing it on Twitch and like, that's just the best way our community uh, interacts. Uh, I will say it's becoming more of a thing uh, as of probably the last six months or so where I will have a client ask us to make a highlight. That way it stays on our Twitch channel because you can't just go back and search VODs because they do delete after a certain amount of time. And so um, depending on their budget or not, sometimes they can afford to purchase basically that space for an allotted amount of time. Or um, it's the same with like a, a YouTube video. If they want you to take that VOD, potentially cut it down, that's of course more compensation because that's editing required and all of that. Um, and then posting that up on YouTube so that it is there for long term and better uh, search capabilities. Um, and then they also might ask us to put it on socials. So if you want it on like Instagram, sometimes it's a highlight reel nowadays. And you just do like a little highlight reel of that part of your stream um, just in case, you know, you're playing other games in between it and all that, as well as on Twitter, uh, little cut down videos. So it, it it is newer on my side, at least seeing it. But I think that it is pretty beneficial because I see, you know, more and more views on these highlights that are stuck on my channel because people are like, well, let's look at past content, perhaps. And I know that there are businesses I've had specific emails like, hey, we saw this highlight and we would like to also do something like this. And I'm like, OK, well. So you're getting that good impression from from other businesses as well. So that it, it it's good, I think. Um, it's a new aspect, especially because live streaming is usually like a 
one and done. It's out of there. Nobody sees it again. But now you've got this option of things being there and you able to view it once more and see what that creator actually thought, especially if they're not on YouTube or things that have more pre-recorded content. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes not evergreen content, but content that is, uh, it's less of a frantic thing to get it and, um, and to be able to experience it long term, which I think is a testament to, um, you know, years ago, when we first started doing influencer stuff, it was like, well, we're going to stream it on Twitch. And if they, if people don't watch it, then it just no, then it never happened. And it didn't exist. And it's gone <laughs> into the ether. Um, but now I think it's great that the, the industry has built new ways, not Building ways, but it's taking advantage of a lot of ways to make the tail of that content a lot longer. So it doesn't feel like a flash in the pan. It feels like it's a long-term part of a marketing campaign that isn't just going to disappear after um, you know a set amount of time when the bot gets deleted. Andy, I noticed you were going for the unmute button. Do you have anything fancy you'd like to add? No pressure. <laughs> I was nodding. Nothing. Nope. I was okay. just in it, and I felt like it was actually pretty good to hear. I'm keeping an eye on those hands. Now he's oh, unmuted. Actually... He has nothing to say. Because I just thought about it. There's, there is another thing uh, that companies have been doing now as well. Instead of just doing one stream, they'll have you do like a few, um, maybe one every week. That way you have a buildup of like, okay, I, if y'all enjoyed this, we're going to be doing it again next Tuesday at this time if you want to see more of it. So kind of how with YouTube you have your playthroughs that are pre-recorded, but then you can kind of prepare your community like we're going to do this again at this time. And I've done that for two different campaigns now, and those tend to do really well as well, whenever you spread I'm it out. Backing you up 100%, developers need to think about post-launch content. <laughs> you have to stop thinking about the flash at launch. I am conditioning everyone I work with to think a little bit harder, harder about, hey, d does your game stop selling automatically after, after launch day? No, it's still going to be there, so treat it like it's still there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I use this example, it's very cheeky because I'm going to use food, but you know, Oreo, Coca-Cola, Pepsi still advertise. Everyone on the planet probably knows what those things are. They still push their content out there. It doesn't mean you have to stop just because you are suddenly done. So a lot of people have to think, oh, it's, it's, it's live right now. It's only right now. It doesn't matter. I can't count the amount of times where I had no vision on a game, had no clue what was going on. And then all of a sudden someone else showed me that. And I was like, that's super interesting. I completely missed the boat on that. Thank you for showing it to me. I go by. People think that doesn't happen, it does. And it's mm -hmm. just a good reminder to say, yeah, keep that content rolling past the the, the 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 high point and just think about what it means for folks who may not always be at the very forefront of what's hot and popping right now. It's actually a good way to think about it. Um, a, a good friend of ours, Andy, um, well, an old friend of ours uh, is uh, Dave Oshry over at New Blood, I think has done this very well over many years. It's, it's not about just the launch day splash, but it's about that consistent remarketing of the game and, and because of that he runs uh, new blood as a, a indie publisher if you will and um a lot of the game developers that work with him have long-term success not sudden success and that consistency allows them to develop new projects and, and really think about that and so um just backing you up as well <laughs> in, that, in that sense of like just a strong consistency game really builds long-term success um that can go above and beyond any of the expectations you had for a launch day. Absolutely. I'm glad we are I'm glad we're on the same page there. 
We're all, and if we say Dave Oshry three times, he you guys will are great. Chat, so. <laughs> don't say it. Don't say his name. Okay. Again. No. Yeah. His, 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 his ears ringing. I was going to hear yeah. a really meta commentary in a second. So. Yeah. Exactly. Someone's talking about me. Um, I, I think it is an important call out of extending the tail and, and realizing that, yeah, launch is a big moment and we should all eat some pizza and pop some bottles and have a great time. But the marketing campaign. <laughs> There ain't no rest for the wicked. It goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, and I think it is also important too, as we talk about um, extending that tail, something that I have always really enjoyed is when the influencer team that they have uh, uh, like at or the marketing team at the studio itself is engaged and they are in those chats and they are part of, they're like part of the community watching the stream live. Like, yeah, sure. Drop like, pay you know pay some influencers and they'll do the right thing but also i've always loved it when you know people hop in and like developers are in chat and or their marketing team is there to just like you know get excited and get hype with the rest of the community so that's part of uh, it's another testament to why andy said influencer is not another wing of pr and marketing in a way it is but if you try to make that one person or two people they're going to lose their minds because the level of care to do an influencer program very well does take that huge additional attention to detail of being in those chats and making sure that they're doing something like Sam said and really watching a lot of content before they even reach out to say, here are five reasons why we really think this makes sense for you. So um, I think the general takeaway as as we're talking to so many indie studios is this is not a last minute thing. We have some extra budget or well, we'll throw 10 K at it and see what happens. You've got to realize what you're getting into and it's a good thing to get into, but it takes care and time um, to do it well. Otherwise it just won't work and everyone else will be doing influencer marketing and you won't know why it doesn't work for you. Can I actually add on that marketing person? Yes, you can. You can do whatever you want. Sam. So I, I fully agree that whenever there are people in the chat, it makes it that much more enjoyable, especially for the community, because then they have questions and they can have them answered. Um, and there is one particular campaign that I did for a tabletop Skyrim game. Um, and that was going to be very difficult to understand. And they asked us to be, you know, pick a few friends that would like to play this with you and we'll have the creator there with you as well to help explain. And so that was an amazing stream because we got to ask every single question before this tabletop game was released, but people can now see that and like, oh, okay, so this is how it's meant to play. I don't need to interpret the card this way. And it, it I know that that's not an option for you know every company to have their creator or somebody on the team able to be in a stream because this creator was in every single uh, activation that they did for this particular tabletop and it was really impressive and I think that they did really well because of it um, so it built a relationship not only with us but it built a relationship within our communities because there was a lot of good conversation going on and I know it's still talked about in my chat that people are really excited for this to eventually launch because it was like super super like we're just showing you the basics it's still very much being developed but everyone's stoked about it. So it, yeah, be in, be in the chats if you can. It's really, really important and it's really cool to see. 
By the way, just a side note, a lot of developers watch streams. I'm not sure if this makes you uncomfortable, Sam, but no, no. Uh, I, I've seen the level of, uh, I've seen how many developers are in there, not just getting their own QA, but looking at the experience, how they figure things out, uh, how they explore the experience. Because when you're streaming and speaking out loud, it is a very different experience to know this person is in the living room with me right now. They're telling me what the average player might be going through, and it does really start to build your next title, your next update, your next piece. It well, matters so it. much. And they're in there. They're, they're, they're probably the most prominent lurkers on the internet, but I've learned so much about what a content creator will show a game developer, an audio designer, about where what they missed. And that's very, very valuable. I think people forget that about streamers as well. They treat them as a commodity instead of an individual. And I think you have to remember, these are people, not products. And I just want to make sure that you know everyone always takes that away from this conversation. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a great call out too. And I know we're getting kind of to the end. So again, if you guys have questions, please feel free to drop them in chat. But I think that is an interesting call out is that yes, you, we should look at influencers as a great marketing tool. And uh, but we should also look at that as a long term relationship, um, something that is not a flash in the pan, but is something that continues through the progress of your game um, and through the progress of other games that you launch. Um, you know, some people will just follow studios and like, I will just, if the, if a studio makes this game, even if it doesn't look like a game I'd really like, I trust the studio. So I'll play the game. So maintaining those kind of relationships is really important, but also making sure that we're using, um, we're using this stream as tools for other parts of the company, right? For the support staff to be like, okay, we, I, that isn't supposed to be happening or let me help figure this out or the devs to be able to come in and be like, well, I've been working on this for a year and I just never thought that someone would try to pick this item up in this way and why did they do that? But now I have to fix it. So it I broke really a game is... once because of that. See, in front the of the dev. Yeah, <laughs> they were like, why did you stack so many cats on there? And I was like, because I can. Why would I? I can't. Yeah. I have to fix that. Why like, did you not seem like a good idea at the time? Yeah. <laughs> you allowed me. <laughs> you just can't undo it. <laughs> well, I love that Sam is the breaker of games. Ten of ten. Also, uh, shout out to the for all studios on here that you should always make the limit of cats uh, to be stacked unlimited, and you should always mm, be able to I pet agree. the dog. These are the content pieces that we're really trying to take away from this panel, and I'm glad we got there. I was wondering how we would. Uh, I think um, we've touched on it a little bit, but Sam, as as you as a content creator and and Andy, too, looking at the marketing side of it, what social media channels do you feel like have the most traction for campaigns um, that you've run in the past or that you kind of see up and coming? Um, and do you feel like there are there's a lot of potential on on particular ones, again, to kind of work to extend the tail of the of the influencer content if it's something like a live stream like? Are we talking that we really want to make sure that there's YouTube uh, like cutdowns of it? Do we really want to focus on promoting on TikTok? Have you guys seen any success on those or um, see any potential? I know that um, putting things on TikTok usually has shown a lot of success uh, it, because TikTok, of course, is a very uh, quick thing. So you can absorb things really quickly. And a lot of times it will translate to the bigger platforms later on. Uh, over time, of course, like you need to continue your push uh, for your, your advertisements. But I will say just whenever you are reaching out to your creators, make sure that they are on these other platforms. Do not expect them to be able to 
put a video on TikTok that if they do not have that much of a presence or same with YouTube, do not expect them to put, you know, an edited down version of that live stream on a YouTube channel that they are not involved in very much, even if they have one, because it's, it's a lot of anxiety on our part when we're like, oh no, if I tell them I can't do this, they won't want to work with me kind of thing. So well, it's uh, a lot of different art forms. <laughs> editing is different is. from live streaming. Which I'm is just not learning anything. Yeah, and it's exactly. <laughs> I'm not even trying and like asking for a Twitter video versus a TikTok video versus a YouTube video. It's a month long process of just getting that together. It's a lot. Yeah. And, and again, <laughs> that goes back to please know that information and respect mm -hmm. that time. You don't know what you're asking for sometimes. And when you kind of put the onus on the creator to say, we'd like this, this, and this. Yeah. Here's some anxiety. That's exactly sure what you're you doing. Would. I'm sure you would like that. I'd like yeah. to have somebody in house to edit that for me. I can give you the right? video. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. In, in, in ideal situations, I might just go, okay, cool. I know what that might cost you. I'm going to add compensation to get you those resources. But in a perfect world, world i'd be like i got these i got this crew here they're your people they're gonna take mm -hmm. care of everything like i think that would be the awesome like pinnacle but i'm not there yet i know i know somebody is but Stu, i interrupted <laughs> you please go ahead no you didn't interrupt me um but uh thank you uh but uh, no what i was gonna say is a good workaround for a brand is that uh, is what sam offered is that if you if you need that kind of content then just get the recording edit it down and put it on your youtube channel it's still valuable if you just need a place to put that kind of content and the creator doesn't happen to have that but your brand does, then use use it as evergreen content on your own platforms. Uh, it doesn't have you don't have to put the whole onus on them, and, and especially if you're going to be stressing them out about creating you know a presence there, which is a super important. So, if you can get the recording and and use that through channels that you're already big on, then that can go a long way and and solve the problem for you. But also, side note: make sure you have within the contract if you want to use their likeness long term in marketing. Things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Great just to double check, talk to your legal person before you use someone's likeness. Uh, not and that I've had to deal with my lawyer. And that into my head. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> I can't imagine how many people go, why is my head on my mom's uh, uh, mobile ad right now? <laughs> the funny thing right. is it still happens. I know. It still happens. I know. Oh my uh, God. Look I know. I knew up. it. I know. Dave Osher showed up <laughs> truly, truly a menace to the entire no way. industry. And I apologize. No. I apologize to everyone. But hello, Dave Osher. <laughs> Lovely to see you. We've missed you very much. Um, I think the final question we have time for, unless Dave wants to pop off on a monologue, which I'm sure he will, is um, it, with social media presence, uh, doing this extra work on TikTok and YouTube, um, does it actually, does that engagement actually result in higher sales and uh, y'all are also more experts on this than i but i think that the call out is that all impressions unless they're terrible impressions um are never a bad thing to have i think that it, it is i can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want to do it unless you don't have a strategy for it um but andy i don't know and sam i don't know if you guys have any thoughts Stu, we might have data on this as well of um what is the do we have an idea of like the percentage of growth once you add in that additional social media work i don't have that answer you go andy <laughs> i mean i can't talk about a territory with that one uh, <laughs> okay. that is uh, against a few rules the most i can say is if you're a developer that looks at those data pay attention to your pipelines and understand without any type of polluted impressions, understand what your tail is and be very precise. So if you're looking at your Steam wish list, your Epic wish list, sorry, your wish list and watching 
X promotion occurred this time. There was nothing else doing so. And here's what happened. And then look at the engagement metrics. If you were to ask that content creator for some of that information, then you can start to build some clear understanding. But again, that's where I go. That's as most as I can say. I need to be careful <laughs> at that point. All right, we'll, we'll get all of Andy's secrets after the panel. So with that, we will wrap with a few seconds left. Um, thank you guys, everybody in chat for your amazing question. Thank you, Dan, for popping back in. Um, You're so welcome. Um, I would like to ask one more. Oh yeah. I would like to ask one more question before we go. So you were talking about like stacking cats, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll go first, but what is one thing in video games that you want developers to do that they don't, and I'm not talking about gameplay, anything, one thing that, and I don't, I may be weird, but when I'm playing a video game and there's a toilet, I want to be able to flush it. Right. Right. It, I don't have to see it, but I want to hear that flesh sound. Well, what's the one thing able, for you? We we, we know Sans is stacking cats as tall as you want. Oh no! Actually, it's, romancing every NPC. Okay. I want to be able to romance every single one of them in every game. I think that's Valid. important. Valid. <laughs> I'm going to say this with giant caps, signal flares to every single game developer that has a character creator. If you're going to have black people in your game. Put black hairstyles. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, that makes. There are fun. tons of people you can copy Done. pasta. Just do it. If not, just make a basic character, please. Mm -hmm. That's my piece on it. This one maybe speaks a little bit to Andy's uh, other career as a chef, but if if there's food in the game, let me eat it. <laughs> like, like if I can walk around the world and I can see an object that, that looks like a piece of food, like let my character enjoy that. <laughs> Also, damn. We game. did it. Ten of ten. <laughs> we fixed games. Start getting Andy Lunique's dishes into games. Actually, that. that well, what about you, Lee? Actually, <laughs> we haven't heard from you. Yes. I have pushed. It will. I'm not gonna deviate from the. We already have a Twitter about it. Just let me pet the dog. Let me pet any animal. Okay. They might not like it. Tell me if they're mad. But like, mm -hmm. if it's cute, I'm gonna try to pet it. This also goes in real life. If you see me and you have an animal, I will try to pet it. Just don't be startled. But it's uh, please let me pet the dog <laughs> or any animal I see. Ferrets. Birds. We comes in a little hot, but she's friendly. Matter. She yeah, we yeah. Saved... I'm just excited. I'm just excited to be involved. I'm excited about the animal. <laughs> we saved gaming that. Okay, well, thank you all for coming here. This was amazing. Next, the title is Become the Exclusive Value of Growth. Wow. Now, who else could uh, be the guest in this but our friend, Hip Hop Gamer. And if you, none of you guys know Hip Hop Gamer, you definitely want to hang out because he is one of the most hype people I've ever met in my entire life. And he's ready. Oh, wait. Joe saying flushing toilets, eating food, romance, cats and animals and hair. Right. Good care. All, <laughs> Good know, job, all know that he says. Yeah. So hip hop gamer. Here we go. Thank you all for hanging out, hanging out with me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for hanging out with each other. I actually just sat here and watched. So great. <laughs> it was great information. Thank you all so much. People. Thanks, Thanks day, everybody. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.